Welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. What is up? Welcome to episode 185. Thanks so much for listening. It means so much to me. If I brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe button. Don't be a stranger. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. Let me know what you want to hear more of and please be sure to share the podcast. I'm truly grateful for your support. Thank you. All right, before we jump into today's episode, I have a few announcements. If you haven't subscribed to my free weekly newsletter, but you enjoy the content I drop on this podcast, then you're missing out. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe for free to the Mastering Your Mindset newsletter. Second, you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. Right below my podcast description, you'll now see a rating option. If you enjoy the content I drop every week for free, I ask one simple favor in return, clicking that button and giving the podcast an honest rating. Lastly, the biggest piece of news, one of the most frequent requests I receive is for more episodes, more content. Well, you ask and I deliver. I'm now dropping two episodes a week. Monday episodes will remain the same. I'm now dropping a second episode on Thursdays at 1 a.m. Eastern. Be on the lookout for these additional episodes weekly. Today we have a special guest that joins the pod, Dr. Kevin Gilliland, a.k.a. Dr. G. He's the Executive Director of Innovation 360, an outpatient counseling service, and the host of Struggle Well, Live Well, Worry Less podcast. Dr. G is a mental health expert with over 20 years of experience in managing mood, anxiety, depression, addiction, and more. He is also a member of People's Magazine's Health Squad and has contributed as a mental health expert to Men's Health, NBC, Women's Health, and CNN, among other national media outlets. In this episode, Dr. G and I discuss managing your physical and mental health, questioning your use of substances, and understanding what we're asking them to do, monitoring our health and tracking the right metrics, chronic sleep deprivation, sleep recovery and sleep debt, evening routines and morning routines, and finally, we dive into cold baths, what the science says and the implications on our health. I hope you all enjoy our conversation and Dr. G's insight. That mental clarity and that state and what you're speaking on, I love. And I think the word that it always comes down to, right, is, is simply balance. Having something or little pieces of this throughout time is not a bad thing, but I think it's like walking on that tightrope with the bar. Yeah. yeah, days we lean a little bit to our left and we need to compensate to our right. But what really matters is that we're true to ourself and our needs and yeah. staying on that line. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I so appreciate that. Um, it's funny. Uh, I, I don't think my awareness, I, I hate that it, well, let me say it this way. I hate that it took me so long to get to the same realization. Cause look, in case, uh, I don't know if it'll be audio or video podcast or I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you, Scott, as much as I'd <laughs> like to go. Yeah. Maybe two or three years. It's probably two or three decades. Yeah. I hate that it took me this long to get here, but I'm abundantly thankful that I got to where I realized managing my physical and psychological health is something I can do. Mm. That's it's within reach. It's within my arms reach. And I think we tend to take this passive approach and, and I hate that we think of counseling or therapy, especially guys, as, oh, I, I don't, that, that means I have a serious problem. I can't tell you how many people that I just love, men and women that have been insanely successful, either in business or in their careers, professions, or having a family and, and loving your spouse, but going through a difficult time that just are trying to get a little bit different view and perspective on their struggle. But if we're not aware of why we're doing these things, or 
even, and I love your reflection of what am I asking this to do for me? Because when we start asking alcohol to uh, sort of help me settle or help me sleep or deal with all the emotional friction with my partner or at, at work, whether it's a glass or two or three of alcohol or a gummy or two or three or a little bit of a, a vape pen here or there right when I get home, you're starting to ask substances to do something for you. And when we do that, we have greatly increased the risk that we're going to develop some really compulsive behaviors and possibly addictions. Mm. I, I love that question about you're asking it to do something. See, I, I, I know there's a, and it might sound tacky to some people, your body's a temple and it's absolutely true. You get one of them, one mind, one heart, one lungs, the whole nine yards and treating that right, I think is super important. And it goes even for like caffeine for me. Um, there's these wonderful energy drinks with zero sugar called the Lani. And I adore these things, but I always ask myself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I using this to bump my energy? And can I naturally just bump my energy? So it, it's, it's everything to be oh, honest, everything what? to be honest and picking up on that and being self-aware of that. Oh. I feel is a superpower that more people need to unlock. Well, and, and right. So, and, and I do, I get to work with a lot of wonderful men and women, whether it's moms and dads, or it's people running companies from small to, you know, multinational global companies. COVID has drained all of our psychological and physical oceans. And so we've actually had a chance to see, wow, I, I need to shore up some areas and I'm not as disciplined as I thought I was about things. And I can't get away with a lot of things I was able to get away with, like sleep, which if you're doing what you love doing and kind of have an active mind, it's easy to really steal sleep because you enjoy what you're doing. You're achieving some things. And before you know it, everything starts getting shaky around the edges and starts to fray because chronic sleep deprivation will eventually catch up to us psychologically and physically. All that to say, I can't steal sleep during COVID. I, I, I learned that literally the first month or two. And I'm like, holy cow. Well, that made me more aware of what you just said, which is, hey, wow, I try to be mindful of my caffeine intake. I'm up to four, five, six cups a day. So it's funny, probably... Two months ago, I just turned the spigot off. On one Friday, I was like, you know what? That's it. We're going to have a gentle. I'm going to go with a gentle landing because I don't want to feel like I have the flu. So I think over a day or two, I dropped it significantly. And then that was it. No caffeine for and and really cut back on sugars, too, because we can do that. I can do that as well. And I'm like, no, it's it's going to force my body to course correct on my sleep on my hydration and on my healthy food. And it's one of the things during COVID, we were inching in the direction of starting to own our own health choices. We have a couple of things that are helping us like uh, apps that can let us know how much we're walking or being physically active. It's even gotten pretty easy to keep track of, okay, what am I eating and when or consuming, uh, whether it's alcohol or pot or whatever. And you go, okay, I'm starting to get some feedback. I'm starting to get some data. Well, with COVID, what we've all realized to a significant degree is I have to start managing my body. And the good news is there are so many little things that have big impacts that we just have to go through the the difficult period of stopping some behaviors while we're starting some new healthy ones. Mm -hmm. I love the, the phrase you used, first of all, congrats on that because that's not easy pulling away from, but the phrase you used about draining out these oceans and COVID blurring the line. So I use an app tracker for all of my habits from, did I wake up on time at five 30 every morning? Did I do my stretching? Did I do a gratitude journal? I have all of these things. And what's really cool about it is it shows your biggest run 
um, and days, you know, that you missed and what your percentage of hits are on it. And it's not, I, I, I think I've shared it on my podcast, but it's not a form to say, geez, I'm so bad. I miss that. No, no, no. It's the ability to observe and understand where did the pattern come from? How did it break? What, what happened? How can I avoid that on the future? And just uh, adjust moving forward. Yeah. But the tracking, I love this because it's, I like to think of a lot of these things almost like business, right? You track mm-hmm. everything about business, everything. Our life, you know, I think it was, it's Rob Deerdick. He had um, a show on, um, it was MTV or one of those called Fantasy Factory. And I listened to yep. him on a podcast. Really uh, like that guy. Holy cow, this guy has his shit together. He has it down. He tracks everything. And to some people, it'd be like, ooh, that's that's crazy. That's mayhem. That's a lot of stuff to track. And again, that black and white or binary thinking that we naturally slip into. It's like, we don't need to track everything, but we're, what are the core attributes? What are the core pillars that you see yes. that are really driving your life in one direction or the other? And for me, it was understanding where's my peak performance time. So I know morning time to about 1, one thirty is where I'm in my best performance streak. So I push a lot of my tasks to that portion of my day, the biggest, the biggest hurdles that I face, but getting a pulse and understanding that and setting those parameters, I think, you know, I try to look at a lot of things and I'm a, a positive optimist, as I like to say, and of course I didn't coin that, but COVID really was a benefit for us to take a step back and evaluate where are the definitions in the lines, the parameter of what I should be doing to drive happiness, health, mental clarity, all of these things. But I love that you use that, that phrase, draining the ocean and blurring that line, because it's something I've been focusing on a lot since uh, COVID. Well, and it's, it's funny. Um, well, uh, two quick things that, you know, you go, okay, well, one of the things we know from research, from people that are able to successfully either stop behaviors or start behaviors is monitoring. Now, monitoring has a funny effect and a positive effect, right? So I used to screw with my kids all the time when they were adolescents and sort of that high school to college when they're smarter than me, which which (laughs) I love that. It's always, no, they were smart, but I'm like, okay, you keep living and, and we'll check in later. But what I would just gently say is if, if it was energy drinks or um, something they were consuming, then I'm like, man, you were rolling hot on that. I would just say something about, man, I bet if you kept track of it, you'd be surprised at how many tablespoons of sugar you're actually consuming just from that. That's all I would say. And then I would kind of watch and listen and I could hear and see they started adding it up because now they're curious and they're like, okay, how many tablespoons of sugar is in this like straight up sugar filled energy drink? Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I saw, and I talked with one of my boys about it. I saw them start to change their behavior because a little bit of knowledge at the right time really propels us forward. But you touched on one of the keys, which is you got to figure out which things to track for you. And two, it, it, it can't be judgmental. It's just data. We, we often ruin it ourselves by, by adding all of these. I'm trying to understand it, but there are always these negative judgments. And you go, okay, well, then be a good researcher. And good researchers don't look with emotion. They just look at it as data points that are actionable. And it's the same with what most of us are doing in our business lives. If you have a job you love and have been performing really well, and if in that same career you've been promoted a handful of times and you're now at the at the top of the org chart, I promise you, you track things at work that you've identified are critical things. And, and there's a short list that we should be looking at for our physical and psychological health. Now, for our physical health, we know right? We look at blood pressure. We look at cholesterol. We look at our sugar levels. We look at BMI, go, okay, is my weight kind of plus or minus? And I'll, you know, I'll give you, I got big bones, but I mean, you still should be in this range. Mm -hmm. And then you go, Hey, 
what are those metrics for our psychological health? If you were to ask a hundred psychiatrists and psychologists, they would waffle around like they had never been to grad school. And you go, okay, seriously, how are we so slow to identify those things on our psychological dashboard? Now, what I can tell you is the research is very clear. And that's why I always talk about just a, a few short ones. Sleep is power. Movement's medicine. Food is fuel. The other one is people and purpose. But you start with sleep. It is the number one thing that people have complained about since COVID. Because our heads can get busy and noisy and when we're stressed and we start losing sleep. And sleep deprivation increases our chances of heart issues, obesity, and uh, depressions and anxiety. So you go, if you're not buttoned up on your sleep, that's the number one thing you've got to address, especially if you want to perform at what you do for a living. I mean, we can look at athletes and go, ah, that's not really me. I don't need to focus on sleep because I'm not in a professional league or making it to the Olympics. And you go, wow, you're missing the whole picture. That uh, Honestly, they're at that age and with that kind of physique and training, you could maybe make an argument they don't need sleep. So why do they value it? It's not just their physical health. It's also their psychological health. Because at that level, the psychology of their sport is as important as their physical performance. And if we want to perform and do our best, we have to make sure that we have all the energy we possibly can have in order to do that. There's no getting around it. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect sense. Perfect sense. And I was guilty of this two years ago. I'd go to bed at 12 o'clock and I'd wake up at 530. I was getting no sleep. You could, I could just feel that drag in the morning. Yep. Um, I just yep. felt very cloudy the whole nine yards. I have at, on that habit tracker, 10 p.m., no later. That doesn't mean I get up from what I'm doing and go to bed at 10 p.m. No, that means yep. my ass is in bed and I'm yep. falling asleep at 10 p.m. It was this is, I feel sleep is one of the most underrated things oh. on the planet. And Absolutely. I'm not sure exactly where it originated from. And I think part of this is this um, hustle culture, right? Like I just yeah. got to work as hard as possible and just put in more and more and more. And again, I was guilty of that. Well, if I stay up an extra yeah. hour, oh, well, I get an extra hour of work. And first of all, it's again, going back to what we were saying earlier about keeping a pulse on a behavior. If you're working 10 times harder to get the results that you normally can get with little energy, your body's telling you something. Your body and, is giving you signals. Yeah. And if you're, and if you've been successful, you, you're, it's because you hustle, but you can get away with things at certain times or for certain durations. There's absolutely times that I crush my sleep and steal a little bit because I have a project or a big case or something, mm -hmm. but man, I'm always mindful of I'm doing that. And the recovery is not, I'll catch up on the weekend. So I've, I've significantly increased my knowledge of how sleep debt works and how sleep recovery works, because it is, it is one of the most powerful things we can do for our performance at what we love. And yes, you absolutely can crush it, but you go, okay, did I accidentally now just make an increased vulnerability for other physical things? Because when you get sleep deprived chronically, you also weaken your immune system. So, yeah, you may be crushing it, but you're wondering why you keep catching every common cold every time it's anywhere within five miles of you. And you go, well, you, you're crushing it at work. You're also crushing your physical system. Mm -hmm. Can we go into, can we go back to what you just said? Because I, I love this sleep, sleep debt. So I think there's this, this mentality, oh, well, if I didn't get, you know, the sleep or I feel exhausted, I'm just going to sleep in over the way weekend, I'll make up for it. Is there truth to this? And what does this actually look like? What's, what's the peel the layer behind this, yeah. this, this thing that's been out there about catching up on sleep? Yeah. So when you look at sleep research and I've worked with, uh, I've worked with some researchers in that area for 
golly, for almost going back about 20 years. Uh, and it was, it's one of those, oh man, I hate knowing that's true. Uh, so first of all, our biggest problem is chronic sleep loss. That's our biggest problem. That means a little bit every night. And we try to, again, we, we try to play with some of the laws of nature and, and sleep is a law of nature. We have a biological clock that pulls us to sleep at a certain time and to be awake at a certain time. So if you, we, what we do know from studying it is you can't sleep deprive yourself an hour a night because let's say, let's agree in general, you need seven or eight hours. You can't, you can't end up at six hours every night of the week and expect, Oh, okay. So now I'm down five hours. I'm going to sleep. I'll sleep in really late Saturday and I'll catch up. When we study people with sleep, when, when they sleep deprive them so that they're just a little bit under, what they see is that it actually takes three or four days for that sleep to catch up with our biological clocks, that internal clock that we have. So we don't actually catch up all the next day. And we have this horrible misperception about our sleep, right? I go to bed at 10 and I wake up at six. Okay. Well, your time in bed, TIB, you have eight hours time in bed. When we look at how long it took to fall asleep and we all have these, what they call micro awakenings in the night, and it's anywhere from 10 to 12 of them. So that if your time in bed is eight hours, you're almost guaranteed to be getting less than seven hours of sleep. And it might be as low as six hours. And so the other thing too is when you sleep, deprive yourself Monday through Friday, not only do you not catch up Saturday and Sunday by sleeping in, one of the things that disrupts our sleep cycle is irregular bedtime and wake times. So that's why they tell you, hey, if you struggle with sleep, if you don't, uh, side note, if you don't struggle with sleep, ignore everything I'm saying. And if you get six hours and you truly are the exception, but here's the funny thing. Everybody thinks they're the exception, which mathematically, and I'm a psychologist, I'm not good at math. Mathematically, that's just not possible. Right. So if you struggle with sleep, part of your problem may be this five and two routine. I'm going to sleep deprive myself five days a week and I'll catch up at two. Well, you're now really disrupting the data input for your sleep signal because you're not waking up at the same time on Saturday and Sunday. You're also not going to bed at the same time. And so the research is clear. You can't sleep deprive yourself all week and make that debt up in two days. It sort of is, it's like, it's like the compounding interest. You go, gosh, that's only been two months. How come it went up? You go, well, it's not, it doesn't stay that it, it's a multiplier. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And for those struggling to go to sleep, um, let's say they have this, this routine down, what are some things you can do prior to going to bed or to increase your chances of getting a good night's rest? Uh, Eliminate user error. Eliminate user error. So the first thing is, and it's a horrible name, sleep hygiene. Just look at that short list of usual mistakes, right? So there's caffeine after a certain point. That's easy. Don't eat a big meal after a certain point. It depends on when you're going to bed because that meal is going to require your body to work. When our bodies work, they generate heat, right? Because now your stomach's got to break this down. If you've ever eaten a big meal and tried to go to bed in the next 30 minutes, you notice you can't. Fun fact, when we lay down at night, we experience, our body experience what's called thermal cooling because it's slowing. Body's like, look, we don't need to generate all this to keep this big carcass upright and moving. So let's slow down. Our heart rate settles. It quiets. Our body temperature starts to lower which is why you want to sleep in a cold room, ideally around 68-ish, because you're, you're fostering that physiological cooling and sleeping. But if you put a project in your stomach, you're not going to bed. And if you put a project in your brain, it's not going to settle either. 
because now you're still trying to work through that problem at the office or this conversation or stop binge watching serial killers and thinking you're going to fall asleep. You actually stirred your body up. So make sure you're not sort of your own worst enemy. Correct all of those pieces. That's the most powerful thing that we can do. And then look for some of those other little areas to improve. And usually with career people, successful people, is they make the mistake of thinking they can keep working a little bit here and there, checking emails, and then all of a sudden their head's going to be quiet. No, you, you, need a, you need a good runway that's at least an hour before bed where you're settling and quieting down your thoughts, your stomach, your body, everything that's preparing to sleep. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. Where does, as far as this preparation for this, this, this downtime or the preparation for, for sleeping, you hear a lot about people on their phones, watching TV. Do those things fall into that category too as well? Because we're bumping obviously that activity upstairs in the head. Yes. Well, and, uh, Thank you, Steve Jobs and Apple. Um, while I love the fact that when I can, when I watch like uh, Discovery Ocean, I'm like, oh my gosh, that fish looks like it's actually in this room. <laughs> Those colors and the brilliance of it. And I don't know what K we're up to on TV. So you're like, holy cow, problem. These eyeballs of ours were, were built a long time ago. And they have no idea the difference between the real thing and that TV that's alarmingly real looking or our phones or our iPads. They push, a, they push lights on a spectrum that sends a signal to a very specific part of our brain that's like a switch. That's, that's like, no, it's, it's light outside. It's not time to slow down. So we're not going to flip that switch and start dumping some of the chemicals that quiet this body because it's still daylight because part of the they call it a lot of different things but that master clock of ours we we never get away from it and yes it is cued to among other things daylight it's why research on shift workers i feel for them they they have higher rates of medical and psychological problems because they are living against literally their very core. We all have this core that flips on and off. And one of those is our circadian rhythms. And that's all about light. And when these, when we look at our phones at night or watching TV or on our computer, we are accidentally sending the signal that it's still daytime. So mm-hmm. if you're going to do that, either get some of those glasses. I know people that have glasses that cut out the lights that are alertness promoting. I actually downloaded a program for my phone and laptop that, that pulls out some of the alertness promoting spectrum of light. Um, but like you, I've also focused on uh, sleep and health metrics. I use Whoop is an app I use. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a big Southern dummy accent, so it's W-H-O-O-P. I never know what I sound like when I say it. Siri doesn't understand a single thing I say. So it's WHOOP. And WHOOP is fantastic because I I really value performance. I, I, I really do, whether it's physically doing things or at my job. And so sleep, I, I mean, the data is clear. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely at the top of my psychological dashboard. And so it'll send me a little uh, reminder, hey, you're getting pretty close to time to start shutting it down, which I love because if I'm caught up and doing something on my laptop, I'm like, ooh, first thing I think is, all right, start cutting the lights down, start stripping some of that stuff out so that I can I can start to quiet this head of mine. Uh, and that it's shocking how much that helps when we eliminate these little user error things. It's unbelievable how much it helps. And if you're laying in bed, it should take you. Here's one more. But if you're in bed, average, it takes us 10 to 15 minutes to fall asleep. Real quick, if you fall asleep suddenly, stop acting like that's a good thing. It actually is usually a sign of chronic sleep deprivation. 
because it should take about 10 to 15 minutes. Interesting. Yeah. So if you're still awake after 20 minutes, get out of bed, get out of bed, go sit in a chair, read, maybe do some gentle stretching, walk around your bedroom or apartment or house. Don't look at bright lights and TVs and things, maybe some gentle stretching, go sit in another chair and maybe breathe and settle, read something that's your favorite stuff. And when you start feeling a little tired again, go back in and lay down. Or after 10 minutes, five minutes, go back in and lay down. Because the longer we stay in bed not sleeping, the worse it gets. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, I feel like it's allowed me to be more creative because I've been able to simplify the admin aspect of my podcast and focus on developing more valuable and creative content. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. I have had this habit if I cannot fall asleep if it's I don't exactly time it but let's say it is 20 minutes I have found that normally it's the furnace upstairs that's starting back up or to your point about hey it's time to start throwing back the thrusters a little bit easing off them and starting to kind of debrief into going to bed and one of the things that I found if I cannot fall asleep is to just write down what is on my mind I need to get it from out of here just down to paper because I also am aware that I'm a bit of an OCD person like I like things to be organized in their their place and my brain I've found to work the same way. So the best yes. thing that I have found for the kind of escape to get those thoughts out is finger, pen, pen to paper, write down them. And I feel flush with, oh, I've kind of got it out. It's off my chest. It's out of my mind. I love that you said that. Thank you. That is one of my, I do that. And it's one of my go-to recommendations for career people, busy people. You have to have a busy mind if you're successful at what you do. If you do a really good job, You've got a busy mind. There's nothing wrong with a busy mind. It can get the best of us if we're not mindful of when it's working and it doesn't need to, like when we're trying to go to sleep. So what I'll tell people to do is, hey, just put a pad of paper next to your bed. If at all possible, get one without lines because I'm a little OCD-ish too. Uh, And so I can get hung up on, I'm not writing on the line. You don't need to write on the lines. What you need to do is free your mind up because you thought about something you need to do tomorrow or somebody you need to call or something you don't want to forget. Well, what do we do when we don't want to forget? We don't have our phone or somewhere to put it down. We, we talk to ourselves. Okay. I got to remember this. I got to remember. Okay. I got also known as waking ourselves up. If you can roll over and just grab a pen and write, don't turn lights on. You don't need to just jot a note or two about call Desi or uh, send email to uh, Kurt. You'll see it in the morning. Your mind will be freed up from that. I need to remember. I need to remember. And it'll be able to turn that corner and sleep. I love that. I'm so glad you said that. I can't tell you how many people I use it. Uh, It's incredibly helpful. I love it. You said a trick that I was not aware of, and it's non-lined paper. Because again, I've noticed that too. Because I'm like, oh shit, I'm I'm either going down or upwards <laughs> off this goddamn yeah, line. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Look at what we're starting here by just that little little change. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. That fantastic. What about pivoting waking up? So one of the things that I started actually this year was I used to be one of those people. Again, five thirty in the morning, 
I'd get out of bed and I'd take a shower. But here's the thing. I'd be Batman walking through my damn house. I wouldn't turn on any light. I would even, even my girlfriend's like, why are you showering without the light on? That's so weird. And it was because I was almost like my eyes were, are so, our eyes are so sensitive in the morning. And I had found out, oh my God, that's actually a really bad thing. Getting light first thing in the morning is a really good thing because we're waking yeah. up where that yeah. I don't know the scientific term and I'm sure you can elaborate, but having that light hit us is actually booting us up, whether it's natural or not, even just a light internally. Oh. And so that is a habit I've started right away when I get up and go into the bathroom, flip the light on. Yes. So you're right. So the opposite is also true um, that our bodies Again, one of the one of the significant things to help us settle and sleep is that signal that there's no light. And when when that circadian sees that, it's like, oh, okay, settle. Likewise, in the morning, if you're struggling getting up and going, as alarming and it's so funny you say it, because I've got kind of hazel eyes, so I'm a little bit photophobic is the technical term of being <laughs> light sensitive. Um you go, okay, as much as I know, I don't like it. I, I want to get up and get this body going, turn the light on. Now, you know, it's going to be really bright. So really squint your eyes so that you narrow your gaze. So it's not too alarming, but turn it on because now you're sending that signal to your master clock of time to go. We got to get this thing, this body of ours up and going and online. Cause you're right. If we keep it dark, it's going to take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What, a, what about in the morning? So one of the uh, a big trend that I've seen online is um, cold baths and cold shower. And it's funny. I've been kind of playing around with this a little bit. And here's what I mean. And this is going to sound really weird. Uh, we use this, uh, I think it's called native. They're all natural kind of, um, like shampoos and body wash or whatever. And it's got a square top. So water will sit in the top and it's frigging cold water. Yeah. And what I'll do yeah. in the morning, I get in the shower is I just pour that on my leg just to like get that breathing going. And I have zero clue as to, I hear a, there's so much misinformation about there, whether it's a good thing, it's a bad thing. I remember back in the day, it was a, it was a bad thing. Now it's a good thing, but there's not uh, scientific data to prove that it really is a good thing. And athletes use it for recovery. There's all these mixed signals. And I'm super curious hearing from a professional, what the hell is really at the core of ice, ice baths or taking a cold shower in the morning or at night? Okay, Scott, I feel like you've been reading my diary. I seriously, I'm like, I'm going to have to talk with uh, our office manager. Go, hey, did you send him <laughs> all my uh, Google searches for the past? So I absolutely positively love this subject. But, but let's look at broad statement about the science. It's a really difficult thing to study. There's two pieces to it. There is the um, use of ice baths post significant physical exertion that is about muscle recovery muscle breakdown and fatigue now what what research looks at that is the decrease in lactic acid or of the increasing the the muscles sort of recovery which is about pushing lactic acid out and muscle recovery um it's hard to measure things where we humans have a placebo response and some things have a greater placebo response than others. Like literally there's a difference placebo response in colors of pills. Now, the more significant the procedure, like if it's an injection, we get even higher placebo rates. And this, I literally just talked about Friday with somebody It's crazy the level of placebo response. There's literally a placebo knee surgery. It's look, look it up. You'll be blown away what the mind can do. So back to lactic acid. Here's some of the data we know sort of anecdotally from looking around. Every single collegiate and professional sports team and athlete do ice baths after their practices and games, all of them. That is not to say it's supported by the research. The research for lactic acid does show it seems to help a little bit, Um, but it's not a big body of research to support it. 
a lot of it has to do with individual experience with it. Um, it does appear to be beneficial for some, but it's a real hard thing to tease out. Now, I never, I didn't ever do them much because I'm older. However, about 10 years ago, I started doing triathlons and I really enjoyed that. Well, I ended up doing three Ironman triathlon races, which was a lot of fun, but those are some horrendous training days. I, I religiously would do ice baths after training days and after every single event. I felt like physically it helped to push lactic acid. So the second subject, which this fascinates me that you, you brought it up. Now, full disclosure, I do this. So I, I am a bit of a believer in cold water therapy. It is a very fascinating subject. Um, so what did I get? I got in, I, I have a, a temperature gauge for my pool. I got in, uh, what's it at? 60 degrees now. Then it dropped down to 50s. I was going to do it this weekend and I got busy. Now it's like 39, but it, what it seems to do is it. And now the research on this is really, it's just not robust. There's not a large body of evidence, but what you see talked about consistently is it does seem to help some with immune system, with psychological health, and with physical health is some of the anecdotal things that people see. Um, the endorphin rush is unquestionable. Um, and there is a psychological benefit that I hear a lot of people actually talk about because it's cold, man. And, and it's going to be a 60-second ride on what feels like the wildest bull that the rodeo ever found because it takes about 60 to 70 seconds that you have a short window to settle your breathing and to quiet your head. Your vast, vast, vast majority of people, you're not going to die doing this, but holy cow, everything in your body is screaming, get out of this water or turn this shower to warm or get out of this pool. And you go, okay, it gives me a place to play with my psychological health of going, no, I'm not dying. I feel like I'm freezing to death. I feel I'm, I, but you go, wow, what does my mind do? And you go, okay, I want to, I'm going to fight through it. I'm mm. going to keep fighting through it because I'm going to see how I feel. And afterwards, I've always felt like it, I, it does have, it does have an unmistakable endorphin rush. I do think there's some little data it seems to indicate it helps with immune system. Oddly enough, there's a little bit of data that for some people, it actually seems to help lift and improve their mood if they have kind of a depressive mood. Um, what I think you'll see with elite performers is it's a little place they practice some of those psychological muscles of you're going to have times in business or career where you just want to quit professional athletes do as well. And you go, okay, why do you keep going? You go, well, I developed some psychological muscles along the way. Ice baths or that sort of cold therapy is a place to practice developing those psychological muscles. And that is invaluable. I, I mean, now, now granted, so I, right. I do Ironman. I do. I've always swam a lot. When you swim at pools, like I swim at master pools, it's a true story. It was like twice a week. When it comes to water for swimming, cold is fast. And, and, and you're burning. We'd swim, we'd swim probably two, two and a half miles in an hour. And so your, your body's heating up, but you're wet, so you don't realize it. That's another reason you hate warm water, which means every time I would go to the pool, the first five or ten minutes, I, my head would be noisy. I'm like, God, I hate cold water. I hate, and I'm like, okay, is that helping me? I mean, just curious. Is it helping me? Right. You're like, no. Stinks are not helping me. Well, I can't tell you the noise that your head will make going, holy freaking cow, that water's 45. So, so what? That job is, or that customer is, or you want to start whatever it is, fill in the blank. Your head is going to get noisy. What you want to know is, what does your head do when it gets noisy? 
and look for places that have low risk, right? You don't want to risk too much at work if you're like, hey, I want to work on that. You go, ooh, what, what can it hurt? Well, unemployment, and that hurts. Or with your spouse or with your, you go, hey, try it out on something that's kind of fun. That's something that's kind of fun. And man, you'll learn a thing or two about yourself. And you might be surprised at the positive physical and psychological effects. And that's where you're hitting on that last quarter of things. That's what's attracted me or what's piqued my curiosity is during heightened senses, during heightened situations, what is my ability to control my thinking and control my body? And I'm all about being uh, someone naturally that's OCD. Control is a big component of being Mm -hmm. OCD, or at least from my experience, I can't speak for others, but stepping into an ice bath for me would mean there's going to be a lot of the noise. My body's going through all of these things. Get out. This is way too cold. Oh my God, my muscles ache. All of these things in that moment of just my mind, like a crowd up in the stadium, cheering and cheering. What is my ability to silence it and tell myself and control my thought process and control my body? And that's the piece that I think It's just this like great unlock for people. We only, what, have unlocked 2% of our brain's power. And I always find it fascinating. Every day is an opportunity to master that shit. And that is so special. And when you can put yourself in a controlled environment where you know, to your point, you're not going to die or anything like that, but where it gets noisy, it's a safe environment that's heightened to be able to practice the control components. And I think that's what's really attracted me to it. It's, it's huge for me. I was trying to find, if I can find this website that I really liked, it was, it's one of my favorites because it's about cold water swimming and cold water therapy. Um, it's really, really good. Um, what I, I would tell you, Scott, absolutely do it. You got to find a place to do it because again, I want to, I want to be the best I can be at whatever I choose to do, uh, for a career. And I don't want, some little things in my head or my physical or psychological health. I don't want those things to limit me. So where, where, if I know my head is prone to, to be a noisy, where can I practice that? That's low risk. That's kind of fun. That'll be a funny story. That is also a really good experience. So read up on it. You do want to be mindful of whatever your health related issues are. Um, and, the, the one thing I will say that you have to really be mindful of, and I'm going to find this website for you and I'll let you know what it is, um, that there, there's what's called the after drop. Now, the after drop is after you get out of really cold water, you're going to have about 30 minutes where your body still is dropping in temperature. So don't let it freak you out, but you need to be mindful when you get out of the water you need to bundle up with blank. There, there is some method to the madness. Okay, here's the side I like. Um, it's called <laughs> it's called outdoorswimmingsociety.com. Now, I do I, I feel pretty good saying that because I've read almost all their website because I'm fascinated by it. One of the really popular ones is Wim Hof. That that includes some other stuff with it. I'm just a huge fan of cold water. Uh, therapy. You want to be mindful of your own safety and your own health. One, two, be aware there's a thing called after drop. So after you get out, your body is still getting colder and colder and don't just hop in a hot shower. That's going to, that's going to really hurt. You got to warm your body up before you do that. And below a certain temperature, it's like in that zero to six degrees Celsius, which is at about what is that? Six is about 42 down to 30 degrees. You just need to remember your body won't function. You, you can't swim and coordinate muscle movement. Now, you don't have to be that cold to, to get, the, get the feel of cold therapy. Just be mindful. You, you don't want to get out into a body of water by yourself to where you can swim because you're going to lose the ability to swim at certain temperatures. So mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. I have love it. Be safe. 
I, thank you for that. I, I, I love this because there was a hike I did up in the White Mountains when I lived up there, what we we're talking about earlier, and it was cold and there was a ton of snow. And I remember getting into a quarter of this hike. It was the middle of January, February time period. And the White Mountains, for those that aren't familiar, has some of the worst weather in the United States because of the way that the weather pattern whips through there. And I remember a quarter into this hike, loaded up with gear. It didn't matter. We were sinking in snow. This exhaustion just hit me where all of a sudden those noises came into my head like, dude, why did you decide to do this? Mm -hmm. This is like, this is so strenuous. You can't even keep your breath, your control, your breathing at all. And there was just this moment where you break and it's your body comes numb to all of it. And I have found almost a form, I guess you could consider uh, of addiction in that moment where I'm just intrigued in understanding why that happens and to have that happen again in something like an ice bath where I can start to control all of these things because I just know the value it's going to bring in so many other areas of my life. Um, so it's just that whole thing is very fascinating to me and it's picking up momentum. I feel online, more people yeah. talking about it, but there's just so much information floating around. So yeah. thanks for clarifying that. Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into optimizing your sleep with Dr. Kevin Gilliland. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the motivated underscore mind and on Facebook at The Motivated Mind Podcast. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. I love you all and thanks so much for listening. Motivated Mind is a legacy division.